Hi, and welcome to this episode of Conversation with a Chef. I'm Joe Ritty, and I love sharing with you the conversations I get to have with talented and passionate chefs. It's the backstory, if you will, to the food they're putting up. I begin today by acknowledging the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation, traditional custodians of the lands and airwaves of Nam, where this conversation takes place. Land which was never ceded. Land where communities came together to eat seasonally, locally and without exhausting resources. I pay my respects to their elders past, present and rising. Today I'm talking to Jay Bang at Freya. Nordic-inspired Freya, named for the golden-tiered goddess of Norse mythology, is the glorious two-level restaurant on Collins Street and was the last piece in Soren Trompeduck's puzzle to bring people together to work and play in his work club global human ecosystem. It also stands alone as a statement restaurant headed in the kitchen by Michelin star chef Jay. For Jay, the Nordic approach to Australian cuisine that informs Freya's style isn't just about the food, although he is using traditional and ancient culinary methods such as pickling, curing, smoking, preserving and lacto-fermenting. For Bang, it's also about harnessing the Nordic approach to work-life balance. If you're not sure what that might look like, we do go into it in quite a lot of depth in the following conversation. I first met Jay when I wrote about Freya in 2022 and then had an incredible degustation in the dining room with its heritage brick walls, vast gothic cathedral windows and curvaceous slatted timber ceiling, a nod to the boats of Nordic maritime history. This time we went downstairs into one of the quieter meeting spaces and sat at a huge timber table made with boards of an ancient Nordic ship. We talked about work-life balance, food, Jay's absolutely peripatetic and adventurous formation years from Seoul to Osaka to New York to Catalonia to Stavanger and then to Melbourne. We also talked about his upcoming Four Hands dinner that he and visiting French chef Hugo Souchet will be cooking over three nights at Freya. Hugo is chef de cuisine at Les Prés de Genie, which is Michel Gérard's restaurant in Londres in France. It, that restaurant has retained its three Michelin stars since 1977. The pair will put up six courses as well as showcasing Surya caviar and French champagne Pernay et Pernay. These dinners are next week on the 8th, 9th and 10th of February. So as soon as you've listened to this episode, and not a minute before, <laughs> jump on the Fryer restaurant site and book your spot. Bon appétit. All right. All right. Yeah. Perfect. Thanks, Jay. Thanks for, for talking to me today because I know um, chefs are always super busy and you have a really tight week as well, don't you? Because you, Friday's not open at the weekend or is it? No, we are. Yeah, you uh, are Saturday now. Only. Yeah, Saturday only. That's right. Yeah. yeah. So six days? Uh, we are, our operation is six days. Yeah. Uh, we used to close on Saturday. Yes. Yeah. And the reason we started to open on Saturday, only dinner, I mean, mainly tourism because we were getting a lot of requests. You would? A lot of requests. It's so great. When I ate here, it was just so delicious. That yeah. I'm, I can see it'd be hard to be a CBD restaurant and not open on Saturday. Mm. And we did it for a year. And, uh, well, we enjoyed our moments, of course. Yes. But then the second reason mainly was because of our staff. Okay. Um, so instead of previously, we used to work five days a week. Just like um, most of the restaurants in general. Um, <clears throat> one thing that I mainly that we have been extremely focused that I have been mentioning since day one is yes. that uh, 
uh, work-life balance. Plus, they do deserve to work, get paid properly, which very often <laughs> nowadays better. Yeah. Uh, but previously, the industry, our industry has been known for completely opposite side of that. Yeah. So our staff only works for four days now. Okay. Okay. Yeah, four shifts. Yeah. And uh, that's it. So everyone is off either three days in a row or two day and two days and one day or whatever. So yeah. dip, also depends on the rotation wise, right? That's so great. It's it gives them I think just in general like better feeling of life in general I would say, yeah. and I find it very important for long term because I don't want them to. Uh, I mean, we, we are very passionate people mm. in general, right? Like all the chefs, you have to be a little bit. You know, off in your head, crazy about <laughs> what you really like to do yeah. to do these things because first, it's hours very often are crazy, yes. or the intensity of the job, um, you know, the demands of the physicality, mentality, all these things, and uh, that's why um, back in the days we were known for. I'm not sure how Australia was, but where I have been trained New York or European countries when you look at chefs oh they either drink a lot mm. they're an alcoholic or they're a drug addict <laughs> yeah absolutely yeah and we don't want that the, the industry has to change and uh, yeah um, if we as, as an employer don't provide the right environment uh, and the atmosphere for our employees then it will never gonna change right so that's the main reason why we start to do the four-day working week thing and is that um <laughs> I guess that must sit well with you personally. It's, is it a Nordic principle as well? Um, in a way, yes, definitely. <clears throat> I would say the biggest influence that I've gotten in terms of the cultural side of it and what we have to create in terms of within our workspace, environmentally and uh, uh, sustainability-wise, um, is very much a human and community focus uh, factors are coming from Scandinavian regions. Mm. I, would, I would really say that. And also, during my time over there, did made me to think and operate quite differently than how I used to back in the States mm. um, in a very positive manner. Well, previously, like, I would never thought about it, to be honest with you. I would say, okay, we work, we get the job done. If the job is not done in the right way, too bad. Yeah. You know, okay. there's, no, there's no other way to get around. It needs to be done, otherwise there's no other way. Right. Doesn't matter how long it takes, what it takes, how hard, or how, you know, none of these matters. Um, but there, there was very uh, <laughs> one-way thinking. And uh, eventually, it's not good for my mental health as well. Absolutely, it's not, well, it's not sustainable, is it? Absolutely not. Um. The, 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 the time has changed. Like, we are not here to operate. Like, I, mean, I don't want to set this as a, an example, but we don't want to operate like back in the 70s and 80s French kitchen. Mm. You know, that only person who should speak is the chef um, and then their work-life balance doesn't really matter 
That's right. You know, you work your ass off just to contribute. Of course, you want it. You're very hungry. You're young chefs. Um, you just want to get better. You just want to learn more. But for how long? Mm. That's right. You burnt out. Well, I mean, physically and mentally as well, and I guess emotionally. I mean, how do you keep standing on, you know, standing for hours on end? And how do you? That's right. Yeah, I mean, for sure. I think it's also some to do with the generations. Oh. You know, like where when I was being trained, and a lot of <clears throat> the older generation chefs. Who have been trained didn't mind it because we we thought it was very normal. Yeah, is that toughen up kind of idea? Yeah, exactly. And then they were bragging. We were we used to brag like how long we have worked yeah. throughout the week. Have you worked hundred hundred hours a week, hundred ten hours a week, yeah. like you know? Yeah. But yes, maybe when you are a very young chef for five years, ten years max, you can't do that for you know, no forever. It's interesting because today I was listening to someone who was giving a talk. Well, it was actually an, an online. He was addressing us a presentation. Mm. <clears throat> His name is Vince Frost, and he um, has written books about design for life. And I found it a really interesting idea because he's talking about being intentional in your life and having a purpose that you and, and personal goals in a way that you have a better so so that you have a better life so I think it's about and I feel like that's what happens in in this whole kind of group as well is that it's about people coming to work and having a better time so it's Mm. a good place to come to yes and it's a healthier um, relationship with work yeah and I think you know and and as you say it's not like the 70s where there's a brigade and a chef that's doing all the shouting and and people are are scared to come to work and scared to make mistakes Mm. it's about um you know, really living intentionally. Yeah, absolutely. I think um, the uh, also it's like the learning factors that personally that I have been receiving uh, within our company as well yes. is that for me at one point I started to hate the word of work and life balance. Yes. Because <laughs> when you think about it realistically, you don't simply just turn your switch on when you're physically at workspace and then turn yourself off when you leave your workspace. Mm. So what's the boundary in between your work and life, right? Very often for us as well, um, work is part of your life, right? And if you want to really completely separate to have work and life balance, I mean, we are not programized robots. <laughs> I mean, when I go home, of course, I still do a lot of work-related stuff, even though I'm not physically there. I'm not talking about checking on my emails and being on a phone call, but at the same time, like what I do or what we do here, it's always some format of connection outside of our physical workspace. And if you want to completely separate that, I'm not sure if that's even possible. Yeah. Um, but then, if you turn around your thoughts a little bit to a different direction, is that, okay, work is part of your life, but then do you have to feel like you're at work? 
Yeah, that's right. You know, we do. We try to. We've been trying to really break these boundaries. I think mm. internally mm. within our restaurant, somehow with different things, which contains a lot of bonding time within our team members. Um, whether it's a leisure purpose or an educational purpose, mm. so. We are not asking them to be at work, but we are still doing something that are work-related, even though we don't feel like that's part of the work. Then I think this has been helping our staff to, perhaps maybe I have been lucky enough that they've been staying here for a very long term. I was going to ask you that. Ever since we have the open, we have still a lot of uh, core team members that are still with us, yeah. <clears throat> and they're very happy to be with us until. You know the right time comes for them, and I think it's very important for not only me but as as our job and having a responsibility to continuously maintain this mm. for our team members to make them feel that way. Otherwise, um, what I have been just saying mm. doesn't make any sense if we stop doing that. Well, it's even interesting to me that, that you're still here because there are lots of big name restaurants that open with big name chefs that have come from you know Norway or wherever, mm. and they open the restaurant and then they go on to open another restaurant. Yeah. and it's I, to be honest, I was surprised that you're still here because you know um, you were asked to come, mm-hmm. you were headhunted, which is amazing, um, and I really love that you're still here. I think that's um, that's a real testament, I think, to the culture that the group wants to create, but that that you've bought into that and, and you're part of that. Yeah. So I guess, I mean, how do you, is that an intention you set every day when you come in here that there are certain things you do to create that culture or is it quite natural now? The way it, is, it, it is much more natural. Now. Yeah. Um, all our seniors and juniors understand it mm. and it's extremely important that I'm not the only one who's driving this. That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Definitely not. I can't be only driver. Everyone has to. Everyone has to drive. Yeah. We don't want passengers in our in our group. Unfortunately, no. Mm. Because um, at one point they will have to drive. They have to sit at the. They can only sit at the back to learn how to drive. Mm. You know, we will have to give them a key at one point, <laughs> even though it's a short amount of time for them to be able to function like that. Yeah. Um, I think that's well two very big benefits that we get out of it in, ter- in terms of this sort of system is one, we are internally growing our talents to become more involved with not only the small decisions, hopefully, but eventually for the big decisions as well. Um, and two, it automatically creates this sort of culture that we are trying to strive since day one. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm a little bit fascinated too because often when you were first described, when you first arrived in your opening flyer, people um, described you as being an accidental chef, um, that you fell into it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, and I'm, I'm intrigued by that because I feel like once you started, once you learnt how to be a chef, then you just went and worked in all these really top-end amazing restaurants, which seems really mm. well-planned. So tell me about the accidental bit. How did it start for <clears> you? Uh, yeah, first I didn't intend to be a chef, as I said. Uh, I got a job as a pot washer. Mm. 
make side money. Um, and it ended up, that, that restaurant ended up being a, a very good one. Yeah. It was an amazing restaurant, which I didn't know about. And what were you doing? Were you studying something else? Or? I was, yeah, I was in high school oh, back in high school. then. Oh, yeah. high yeah, okay. And then, uh, and I started and uh, I looked at the energy of it and I was shocked. And I first thought, okay, uh, I'm just gonna wash some dishes at the restaurant to make some money. I did not expect that level of energy. Um, good or bad? Very good. Oh. Amazing. Yeah. yeah, I was shocked. Um, and that was in your hometown in Seoul? It was back in yeah. Seoul, Seoul as well. Yeah. And uh, as I said, the level of energy, positive energy and the dedication was, was stunning. Like I was shocked and I was just sucked into it. And um, some time later, I asked the chef, I want to learn to cook. And yeah, in a way, he kind of laughed at me. Like, yeah, young child, everyone wants to cook. You think we look cool, but you have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> what kind of food was it? It was an Italian restaurant. Okay. But very, very good restaurant. Yeah. Uh, I still think that. I would say he, his certain dishes are still among one of the best ones that I have. Head. Not wow, just wow. become not just because of my memory point of view, but just simply if I still think about the details that he was putting into mm. was just like so much attention. Um, yeah, so I got in and yeah, at one point he was showing me how to do this all these shitty jobs, peeling onions, peeling garlic <laughs> and stuff like that. Um, then I was really enjoying it, <clears throat> and then I moved on. Yeah, continuously. I got really sucked into it and it just became like without thinking or planning so much to be honest it just became almost like permanent I'm like okay maybe this is very cool like I really like it so maybe I want to continue this and I continued um, but it's interesting at that point because at that point it's about the energy isn't yeah. it because it's not really about creativity when you're no. peeling onions and, mm-hmm. and whatnot. Not at all. And so it must be something about being part of the team and part of that yeah that effort of putting up the food, mm-hmm. but it's not creativity at that point. No, not it? for me at least. Yeah. No. I was just given the job and yeah. I was doing the job, but then like all the given jobs, it doesn't matter if it was a cool job or a shitty job or the job that no, no chef wants to do, it's just because um, it's annoying yeah. or whatever. It still wasn't new enough for me. Yeah. yeah. And uh, I think I really enjoyed every single moment of it. And I think our team was so great that in a way I was very gladful how they were uh, receiving me like okay this young kid wants to learn yeah that's let me see how dedicated you are and there is a moment I think also partially it's cultural thing as well back home especially in the kitchen and they try to test you a lot they try to like really push you to the limit mm-hmm. mentally and physically purposefully right so if you don't handle it okay like you quit you know I let you go we don't care but then they were waiting for this moment. And I felt like, okay, uh, if you try to break me, try, try harder. Uh, uh, I mean, I was young, yeah. snobby, and yeah. <laughs> like, you know, eager, <laughs> cocky. Um, and at, after a certain stage, then yeah, I was really like being shown and learned a lot from them. Yeah. Uh, and uh, the owner chef said, Look, you're young, you're eager, you're healthy, you know, 
uh, you're not dumb. You're, you know, there's a lot of, well, the way he was describing, there's a lot of dumb people who's working in the kitchen, but at least you're not on that side. So you want a smarter one. So why don't you try to learn something really, really serious than what we do? Mm. And I thought it was like, what are you talking about? I thought what we are doing was pretty serious. So I was um, sent to uh, Osaka, Japan. Wow. Of his former colleague. And uh, it was one of the best restaurants by then, back in Osaka. Uh, this is how I ended up working with some of the really, really talented chefs. Um, then I was, that still, was that Japanese or was it Italian? Uh, no, it was a French influenced oh. Japanese. Wow. Yeah, yeah. Okay. They, they had three Michelin star. They've had three Michelin star for a while. Now, ever since he opened, he was just a total maniac. Mm. So crazy. Yeah, it's just insane. Um, yeah, just, just a lot of episodes uh, with the restaurant. How aggressive it was, Wow. one thing, but how precise they were, yeah. it was just totally crazy. So I was going to ask you, what, what's the take, what was the takeaway? I mean, obviously, when you say you learned a lot, is that um, precision, knife skills? Flavors as well. Not only skill set and knowledge side of it, but I think it's a disciplinary. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. If you if you're given with a if you order a bunch of herb, one bunch of herb, do you really treat this herb properly? But then it goes to every single ingredients, and when it goes to ingredients, it goes to equipment, mm. even to your sourcing spoon, for example. Um, it goes to every single little thing that you handle, including your staff, customer, customer service, everything. Um, because I, if I'm not mistaken, he came from mechanic background. Wow. So his obsession of very small little things were just totally crazy. Wow, that's fascinating. Yeah. <laughs> and then ever since then, uh, okay, I want to work for the best because this is just so yeah simply that um, then yeah that's how rest of my career started and then so you're in New York as well yeah and then you, and at what point did you do the stage at El Bui that was before New York okay yeah so no uh, well before starting my career in New York okay. so I went to after Japan I went to New York for school because it's simply I just want to learn with more depth yes so I joined the Culinary Institute of America uh, at one point, after eight months, yeah, after eight months of school, in the middle of it, um, I couldn't afford. Oh. Yeah, the to continue. So well, I had I had enough money to fly. Then I was like, okay, maybe I fly to Spain because back then I believe it was yeah. like easily. Um, being considered as uh, a best restaurant in the world. Um, but a stage, you're not paid? Stage, not paid, and they, I mean, I, if I'm not mistaken, they were getting over 70,000, 80,000 CVs of stage a year. So how do they select? How were you selected? I didn't get selected. You didn't? I showed up. <laughs> <laughs> Good yeah, I showed up. It took me two, three days. Okay. Uh, they just couldn't get rid of you, so they decided to keep you. Yeah, um, <laughs> I was very lucky. They ignored me. 
simply. Mm. And then what worked luckily <laughs> was that I printed my CV, which I worked at two different places and I dropped out of school at that point um, with not much to show. But then I printed enough. I'm talking about I really printed enough. I shattered, I shattered, I shattered around the restaurant. Um, before they were receiving customer, the, the maintain, maintenance person of the restaurant saw it and he flipped on me. And when he flipped on me, because obviously he doesn't care about like what I am, who I am, but I'm just scattering around my CVs. For him, it's just, just tons of garbage around the restaurant. <clears throat> and uh, Chef Farhan's wife has noticed that. And uh, I think she has spoken to uh, Chef Farhan, saying that, yeah, maybe he's a bit crazy one. <laughs> You might like him. Yeah. So he asked me I can start uh, the day after. Wow. And what was it like? What was the climate in the kitchen? Crazy. Yeah. Yeah. It was absolutely... Well, <clears throat> cuisine-wise, it was only them who were doing such a type of cuisine. Very um, scientific-related, of course. Yes. Back then, of course, um, it, none of these things tasted like what it looked. Yeah. I think that's the best way that I could describe it. <clears throat> the ideas and how they process the idea to make the ideas to be able to serve to a customer. And this entire process of it was just not like a restaurant operation. Yeah. It was more like a laboratory operation. Yeah. They, had a, uh, they have a sub-laboratory in Barcelona. And the restaurant opened only six months a year. And the uh, rest of the time, uh, the key players with the uh, scientists, they have a laboratory that they revisit the menu for the next season. Which for me is like, yeah. just totally crazy. What did you, can you remember what you wanted to get out of doing a stage there. No, I didn't have you just thought it was, You just thought it was, this is a great restaurant, I want to try it. Yeah, I mean, sorry to say, but like I was, as I said, uh, how, I was 20, I just yeah, became 20. Right. <clears throat> and uh, simply back then, as a young chef, um, only thing in my mind was, uh, I want to work for the best. Yeah. And if you ask me, oh yeah, what do you want to learn from there? Like, doesn't matter. I yeah. will learn everything that they do. Yes. Or I, or I would like to learn everything Can that they do. Can you learn everything they do? Yeah. Can you though? All that lab stuff? Can you? What? you the good thing about the um, Sajir for the program at Edelie for me was that you were actually responsible for a lot of important roles of the restaurant yeah. inside of the kitchen. Um, I think that was the the real benefit of it. If you go to certain places as a stage, all they make you to do is, okay, here's a pint of herb, go and pick it into this size. Or you clean here, you clean there. Mm -hmm. It's just like this, just a labor intensive, non-educational purpose tasks. Yes. But for sure, Emily was on a completely opposite way. Okay. Yeah. So and how in, long were we there? How long was the stage? Uh, one season. So six oh, months. Oh, six yeah, months. for six okay. months. 
How amazing! What an adventure! Yeah, I think uh, at that point, I think it was like my. Uh, I mean, emotionally for me, when I think about it now, still, I think I would say it was a peak time of my life in general. Yeah, wow. Yeah, because when you look at even all the stagiaires that were doing the unpaid work for six months, these chefs were amazing. They were all so talented chefs that just by standing next to them was. Like a lot of you know learning process in general. Yeah. The how they work, how they peel things, chop things, whatever, whatever it is. Mm. You know, not necessarily coming from the restaurant itself, just because of that the the people there are simply ex- extremely world class chefs, and as you see, there's so many Elbuli alumni that are. Running a world class kitchen nowadays yeah. still is a uh, is a uh, you know. It's amazing, isn't it? And so then, did you um, think New York is that's obviously high on your list of destinations of excellent food as well? Yeah, absolutely. Mm. Um, there is something very special about New York. It's just the cultural side of it, in general, of the city, and also it applies to um, the restaurant industry as well. Uh, when I say that New Yorkers are very particular, you know, um, they're willing to pay if there's something special about it, um, and the pace of the restaurant operation is just totally crazy. Um, when so I after Emily, I joined the military, which is a oh. <laughs> yeah mandatory for Korean male. So that's compulsory. Uh, back to Korea in yeah. Korea, yes. Yeah. So I spent time there two years, and then I went back to school. Um, after military, I was financially a bit more comfortable. Yeah. And then, uh, yeah, I joined. Uh, I, I I went back to school, and then once I graduate, um, I was looking for a job, and then of course I'm studying around. It's very normal in in culture over there to do a day, one day stage. Um, and you do that to, of course, you know, find the right job for you, and they have to. Also, the employer has to think that you're the right person for their restaurant as well. Yeah. So it's very normal process. Um, and then, of course, I went. I think plenty to see where would it be the best place for me. And then um, I went to uh, restaurant Daniel. Um, as I still remember, I, as service started, like I thought it was just crazy. There were there, um, three star, three star restaurant, uh, one of the best restaurants in New York. They were serving over two hundred fifty people per dinner. Wow, what at a three star level? Yeah, that's so two hundred fifty. Like for me, that's. <laughs> That's insane. No other restaurant in Europe or in Asia does 250 covers in three-star level. No one. Wow. So the amount of things that you do, yes. it's so compacted. Like we make joke about it. If you worked in New York's um, 
great restaurants in New York for a year, that's equivalent to two to two plus <laughs> years of other. No, seriously, because the amount of volume yes, okay. and with that level is yeah. just nowhere does that. Wow. There's only few restaurants who does uh, that amount of numbers. Uh, one is Danielle, and the other only restaurant that I can think of is Le Bernard, and located in New York as well. Yeah. Yeah. Incredible. Incredible. Just crazy. <laughs> you believe that? 2050 covers. So it's a walk in the park here then. Very easy. No, I would not say that. <laughs> no, we had an army there. <laughs> but still, we had a very, very, very well dedicated army. And yeah. it was operating like a, just a very well oiled and maintained machine. Yeah. Um, just all the training process, when you're handing over the station, when you're going around different station to station, just the way everything operates were so well organized. Um, yeah, they could maintain the quality. And, and what took you to Scandinavia? Uh, yeah. Um, <laughs> Very well traveled. Yeah, so after New York I moved to um, no, after Danielle, I joined the uh, Waldorf Astoria. It's simply, I never thought about, I, I, I would never imagine that I would join the hotel group, um, but uh, uh, by then my wife was pregnant. I'm like, okay. Oh, she's also from the industry. Okay. And with a great career. So both of us were working like some nonsense hours, of course, which we didn't mind. Um, she was working at 11 Medicine Park back then. Wow. And I was working at Daniel. Yeah. Somehow she got pregnant. I don't know how. That <laughs> but. Is she a chef or part of house? Uh, she's a chef as well. Yeah. She's a pastry chef. Um, well, dinners at your place must be amazing. Or not. Because oh. <laughs> yeah. you're probably too tired when you get home. Yeah. I don't cook much at home. Yeah. Only on special occasion. But yeah, we do enough. Yeah. It's mostly her who <laughs> owns the kitchen back home. But uh, yeah, then we had to think about something that meets our realistic situation. She couldn't work. Yeah. Because she had such a bad morning sickness with just she couldn't stand up any smells and things like that. So mm. it was not possible for her to work in the kitchen anymore. Um, so then I joined the hotel group. And luckily they liked me, they gave me, um, you know, a big responsibility. And I was taking, of course, the advantage of um, learning the ma management side of it. Yeah. Uh, which I think I'm very glad that I did. But main purpose of me joining the hotel group at the Waldorf was just because we needed to make more money with the better benefits coming from the company. Um, and then the company went through the big renovation, the, hotel, the entire hotel itself. And then I moved to the same group in California. Oh. Yeah. Uh, I was in charge of the, the restaurants there, um, which also was a very fun part of it. And I was in contact with my former colleague back in Danielle. He was from Norway. And uh, the restaurant that where, where I moved uh, uh, in Norway called Stavanger, he was from the area. And that's how somehow my name slipped into Senetic, who's the owner chef of the Rano restaurant group. And yeah, I got in contact. And I visited the restaurant and they were very ambitious. Um, 
they currently had a fine dining restaurant, which they want to bring it up to complete next level. So all these projects that were aligned on their pipeline was was very ambitious and was it's it sounded a lot of fun. Yeah. So then, yeah, I took the position. As a so are they ones that grow the food as well, or mm, no? no, no, just, no. just very really seasonal ones. Yes, yeah. uh, it's extremely local. Okay, uh, we have right. a, our vegetable producer, Froda <coughs> uh, from from uh, Brimsa Island, and he grows all his product, including farmed and wild, a lot of wild ones. Um, we get it, we source it from that particular island. Okay. So twice a week, he, he load everything on a boat, Yes. come to the coastline of Stavanger with a van, and he delivers it okay. to the city. It's a very small city. Um, yeah. Yeah, wow. Amazing, amazing town. And, and your wife went with you? Yeah, so, yeah. Every, everyone. Yeah, Me, yeah. kids. Yeah, kids, wow. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Everybody. Whole package. Yeah. <laughs> so, how did the collaboration with Hugo Sushi come around? Because he's um, also from a three-star Michelin restaurant, Les yeah. Cré de Génie. Yeah. Um, have you been there? Have you, do you I have know? not. I looked at a photo. It looks amazing. It looks it's, like a castle. It's, it's a chateau. It's a chateau, like, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's one of these legendary restaurants. I mean, I, I started off of the books of Michel Gerard. Yeah. Which is owner chef of the restaurant. He's just, you know, uh, one of the godfather of the, uh, the French Nouvelle Cuisine. Yeah. Like Provocus. Yeah. Yeah. I think they had uh, three Michelin star for over 40 years. How do you keep three years? stars for 40 years? It's just that's how they have been yeah. maintaining everything and anything. Amazing, isn't it? Yeah. So he fully te- took over the restaurant. He's fully in charge of the kitchen operation there. You go. Uh, yeah. uh, also a Daniel alumni. Ah. That's how we are connected. So we not at the same time. Or? Same time. Same time. Oh, same that's time. nice. We used oh, to wow. work together. Yeah. And how does this work? Because you've you have work. You've done collaborations or dinners with other chefs. Mm-hmm. Is it? What happens? Like obviously he's in France and you're here, so do you just throw around some ideas or where, where do you start when you're trying yeah. to work together? So, so the idea of uh, this particular collaboration came up a bit out of nowhere. Um, we, so uh, currently at Freya, we use um, caviar coming from Sturia caviar. Yeah. They're located in uh, Bordeaux, France. Mm. And I have been using them since back in Norway as well. Uh, so I wanted to continuously use them because I love what they do. Their philosophy behind it, of course, the quality of the product is just a top notch as well. And um, Guy from Sturia, uh, and Sturia itself, us, uh, Restaurant Freya, held an uh, event last year. Um, just for an industry people about caviar uh, and uh, we talked and we found out oh by the way Hugo also uses our caviar uh-huh. I'm like which Hugo <laughs> and uh, I thought you guys were connected then I looked up I'm like oh my god 
and he, he was like okay you know what let's try to make something fun yeah. then it carried on and carried on and it, it became forehand dinner that we are holding next week yeah over three nights over three nights so so what's the menu we don't know yet oh how exciting but yeah. definitely caviar is involved oh yeah big time <laughs> <laughs> Um, how many are, courses will you do? We, it will be six courses yeah. that we are planning. Maybe it could be plus one. Um, but, uh, well, first, the, the why the menu is not decided is because um, he's arriving end of this week, Hugo. Okay. And uh, we need to see the local product. We need to visit farms and, you know, I fishing companies, it. butchers. Yeah. Just so that he understands our product. That's right. Uh, what we can offer in Victoria. And then we're gonna create a menu according to uh, what's available. That's much better. I don't yeah. even know why I asked. You know, what's the menu? I, think, yeah, I suppose you could have done it already, mm. but yeah, it's better to do that. You know, that's that's that idea. I think that people who aren't chefs have that you can make a menu, then you go to get your ingredients rather than get you look your, at the ingredients. Look at the ingredients yeah. and then create your menu. Yeah, mm. yeah. So we think it makes the most sense, so yeah. our marketing team has not been very happy when we mentioned that. I'm like, okay, how do we promote if what, what, what's going to be served? And you know, there's plenty of questions that are being asked by the customers. Yeah. I said, well, too bad, like, what am, what am I supposed to do? Yeah. How can he create a menu without seeing the product? That's right. It's more like a guessing game, isn't it? So it doesn't work like that. No, well, it's a trust in the three-star Michelin guy who's coming from France and and you have already proved yourself here time and time again. So people would come for that, I think. Mm. Yeah. I think just because uh, their restaurant is not kind of restaurant that are being talked a lot about or very hip or trendy or anything like that, they're very, very typical classic French restaurant who has been extremely doing well at what they have been doing for last decades right so they're not the most talked about restaurant but i think people have to understand that in order to maintain that level of service and quality of products for that many years it's it's something that the dedication that whoever that have been to that place have put them into yeah. to sit where they are yeah. it's, it's enormous so will it be more Freya food or will it be more <coughs> uh, classic French or will it be mm, something yeah, adjacent some twist to, yeah. we will create a menu all together so there will be a lot of mix I would say yeah, yeah. fabulous so yeah. what What's you? What do you want people to? Um, what's how do you? What's the what's the experience you want diners to have on that night? Get full and yeah. drunk, <laughs> drunk out of champagne. I think that's what else? Yeah, what else should it be? Well, that sounds perfect. Yeah, <laughs> you're making like a joke about it, low key. Um, yeah, French caviar, uh, French champagne, and Pernet and Pernet uh, is our also another sponsor of this event um, and uh, yeah French chef so yeah a lot of champagne a lot of caviar good food a lot of butter maybe great uh, classic, yeah I mean why wouldn't you come 
I will say that. <laughs> Sounds amazing. Thank you. Thank Th you. Thanks so much. What a great chat. Yeah. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Conversation with a Chef with Jay Bang at Fraya. If you liked what you heard, you can check out all the goodness on Instagram at Fraya Melbourne. That's spelt F-R-E-Y-J-A Melbourne. But also you might want to have a look at Le Pré de Genie as well, which is at L-E-S-P-R-E-S-D-E-U-G-E-N-I-E. And then, of course, as instructed at the start of this episode, jump on Flyer's website to book a table at the beautiful Four Hands Dinner. If you'd like to hear more stories from other chefs, I'm on Instagram at Conversation with a Chef. You can read the chat and become a subscriber at www.conversationwithachef.com. And I would love it if you told a friend about my chats and follow me on Apple and Spotify podcasts. Once again, thank you so much for listening. Have a great day and bon appétit. Bon appétit.